0: Luke Botham
1: Hi, this is Chris Ramsey from Comedy and Art and you are listening to
2: Luke Botham
3: Hello there and welcome along again to the Luke Botham Show podcast Thank you so, so much for downloading and tuning in today Anyway, coming up on the podcast today, we have got a jam, jam, jam-packed podcast for you. We've got Chris Ramsey.
1: There were so many times when we're standing in, like, in, in ridiculous clothes, like freezing and really uncomfortable, and Tony just struts past in, like, a, in like a barber jacket with a hat on, warm as toast, having <laughs> a coffee. I was like, "Oh, go out, get out of here, man, Tony, you're ruining it."
3: We've got Basil Brush,
4: Miss Stephen, and myself <laughs> driving around the country. Me rules canardly. that rolls downhill and can hardly get up the other side. <laughs>
2: We've got George Bing. If I could time stop everything now, I could get my whole house tidied up and decorated and write my new book and then turn time back on again. And, and you know, it would still be nearly time for lunch.
3: And we've got Steve Backshall.
0: The
2: very people that, that love the natural world are the
0: same people that are going to want to try and protect it and try and save it. And we really, really need that now, you know, that the natural world is under, it's, it's under attack from so many different areas.
3: It is a super podcast. I think we'll start off with Chris Ramsey, actually. That was probably my favourite interview out of all of them. He is hilarious. So, h- how are you doing, then? You all right?
1: Spot on, man. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Just chilling in the hotel on tour at the moment. Where are, where are you at the moment on the tour? Uh, I'm in Harrogate, weirdly, but I'm not on doing the show in Harrogate. I'm just staying in Harrogate.
3: I was going to say, yeah, the, uh, the uh, tour is a while away, isn't it, for Harrogate? The,
1: uh... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just because... Um, I uh, was, We were in Hull last night when Wooster tomorrow and it was just that little bit too far to go home So we just picked somewhere in the area of, of, of Hull so we can just uh, travel to Worcester today
3: Last time I came to your gig was a few years ago I think in Lincoln um, And I'm going to put my hands up, I did kind of interrupt it a little bit by accident
1: <laughs> uh, Did you what, did you got the toilet or something?
3: No, um, you were, it was the uh, feeling lucky one and you threw the dice and it landed at someone right at the back and, uh, oh, okay. I was sitting at the front, and uh, I had a bit of man flu on that day, and uh, I started <laughs> coughing quite loud. Right. And uh, you started talking to me about my asking if I was all right in that, and then uh, you made me stand up and do a twirl because you were looking at my hair.
1: Very <laughs> Okay. I don't know if I can remember that, but it sounds <laughs> definitely like something I would do. <laughs>
3: Obviously, you're in Harrogate now, but have you um, ever done a gig there before, or is this going to be the first one? No,
1: I've done loads of times, yeah, Harrogate, I I, I am, uh, a friend of mine is a promoter who runs a couple of comedy clubs, and uh, one of them's in Harrogate, so I've I've been playing Harrogate for years, but uh, Harrogate's always been a place that's on my map, because uh, my mum's always went on about how nice Harrogate is, and she always goes there for weekends away with my dad, (laughs) It's just like, oh, it's a lovely place, (laughs) so we'll go down there. Um, but yeah, Harrogate's amazing, and um, great, again, great people, really good crowds, a lovely theatre, the theatre's beautiful. Last time I did Harrogate, me old headmaster travelled down from the <laughs> northeast because he had family in Harrogate and he was at me gig. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I bet that was a bit weird.
1: It was quite good, I mean, he's a knight, like he got knighted last year, the oh, year wow. before, um, for, for services to education or whatever, so I, I took the him for that for a bit, and then I was like... Um, I was like, tonight's the night that I finally know I've made it because uh, uh, I used to get told to shut up and stop talking all the time at school but tonight my headmaster's paid to listen to us talk.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this tour is um, all grown up. What can we expect from it? Like, what's, what's it about?
1: Well all grown up. It's, it's basically about um the, the I suppose the idea I tried to think about in the show is like when should you consider yourself an adult? When do you consider yourself grown up? And uh I, I don't think I am a grown up. I don't know, I just I think I mean this I, I inhabit this adult world but there's so many parts of my life that aren't like where I just think, wow, I'm still—I'm in many ways, I'm still a child here, and I think a lot of people feel like that. So I just talk about that. I talk about growing up, different stories about when I was growing up, and things. Talk to the audience, stories about being an adult but still being massively childish, and I think everyone can relate to it. And it's—I'm uh, really enjoying the show. It's great.
3: No, it sounds really good. Like, it, I guess it's just the little things. Like, um, I know when I was at uni, we, some, we sometimes used to like go to the supermarket and end up talking to someone for like half an hour, and I was thinking, God, I feel—I feel so grown up now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, 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 like meeting someone in the supermarket. Yeah, <laughs> discussing <laughs> things with a basket in your hand. Yeah, I know what you mean. Little moments <laughs> like that, where you go, oh, yeah, definitely.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I used to be a kid, and I was so bored, and now I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you might, Yeah, cause I remember that. Actually, I remember standing next to my mum, going, "For God's sake, can we just go home?" Yeah, <laughs> amazing.
3: And obviously, with this, with this um, tour being all grown up, um, is it going to kind of mention the fact that you got married last year and things like that? Yeah, I mention all that.
1: That's all mentioned in the show. Uh, talk about all that and things and um my wife's the butt of some of the jokes but um she knew she knew what she signed up for and she married a comedian.
3: And uh, obviously at the moment you're doing um oh you've been on time crashes on Channel Four. Um, how yeah. did how did you find doing that? Was it was it a while ago now that you did that?
1: Yeah, we, we filmed it sort of earlier in the year um, but the weird thing about time crashes is right the don't show on the show like what we went through. Like it was it was it was it was enjoyable, it was really good but they don't tell you that it took two weeks to film the whole thing. We went to six different locations. You spent two days in each location and we had a couple of days off in between. But we, from the moment we started to the moment we finished, we were cut off from 2015. Like We got all the phones taken off us. We, got, um, we went without TV, no papers, radios, nothing like that. And we stayed in these weird places that had already been vetted and they'd stripped all the stuff out. Like They took the tellies out, they took everything out. And it was it, like they don't show any of that on the show. And it's like. It looks like we're just finishing, and we could just go to a hotel and chill out. I mean, yeah, so people it, 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 don't realise that we we're like properly in a bubble. Like it was so weird. <laughs> and and I remember as we were doing it, I was like, "This is overkill. Why are you doing this?" <laughs> and then we haven't even shown it. so I was like, "We could have just been going to like going for a slap-up meal every night, and then going and staying in a bloody luxury hotel." But we weren't. It was weird. <laughs>
3: I was going to say that, I thought it was just like doing filming for a couple of days and then having a break and then no, coming back to honestly,
1: it. Honestly, like the show, we're going to bed, they were like, oh, this is them going to bed and it was like us like making a bed and it doesn't even show you anything else. Like those camera people coming in while we're asleep, the chat that was still asleep and stuff, like they don't show any of that. We just look like we've rocked up and done it for the day and then went home.
3: <laughs> and um, it was the same with like the, because um, obviously at the start of the programme you kind of appear and you, you were like blindfolded, weren't you, and stuff, so you didn't actually know where you were going to be.
1: Yeah, they didn't they, they didn't explain that very well, because it was on Gogglebox the other day, and the, and the people watching on Gogglebox were going, why are they pretending they don't know where they are? And I was like, no, no, we weren't pretending. We literally didn't know where we were. We got blindfolded and travelled at different parts of the country. We didn't know, that for some ridiculous reason, they wouldn't tell where we were in the country. Like, we're getting in these big vans, and we're travelling, they were going, like, um, we're going, oh, where, where, where are we off to? And can't tell, you're not allowed to tell anything. I was like, oh, for God's sake, it was like being like a... Kidnapped by like MI6 or something, like it was so bizarre, like bag over your head and stuff. They just wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't tell where we were, they wouldn't tell what was going on. And, um, and then, to be fair, it made it better as an experience because you were like, wow, I'm really in this. Like, you actually felt like you'd went back in time. But it doesn't show that on the telly, so we're just, if anyone will whinge, if anyone like whinges, it goes, oh, it's hard. People at home are going, ah, oh, shut up, man, you probably went to a hotel that night. And we didn't, we're like <laughs> sleeping in the place, we literally sleeping like on these rubbish little beds. In mad places, and, and the next one, the final episode, we are slept on like in these huts in in like Iron Age England, in like uh, Celtic Celtic clan, and we slept slept in these like huts on these terrible straw mattresses and stuff. It was madness.
3: It looks it looks really good that one actually. I, I love how they get all of the uh, the weird little facts on it though, because I don't know much about history, and like I had no yeah. idea I had no idea that the Victorians made fish and chips. I just thought they had like porridge yeah, and was- stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, the weird thing was, right? Like, doing it, I wasn't like, as I was doing it, I wasn't really listening to any of the stuff, and they were going, oh, you need to do this because this is what it's doing. I was like, okay, I just wanted to get it over with so we could leave that time period because they were all really hard. But watching it back, I actually do, like, I watch it back in the house when it's on, and I learn loads. Like, I, I, I'm sitting with my wife, and I'm going, oh, that's why we did that. All right, okay, that's really good. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine texted us the other day. She said, um, it's my me, me friend's wife, she's a teacher, and she said, um, she was she was doing a thing with her with our um, students and they couldn't they couldn't grasp the time period that she was talking about in English. So she wheeled a TV in and they watched the um, the uh, the second no sorry the third episode of Time Crashers. And they <laughs> it and she was like oh well watch this as a class. They all enjoyed it. They all learned something. And then they could grasp the idea of the time period. I was like get in. I felt like he'd proud.
3: I, I I just love how. Um how, uh, like, Tony Robinson and that other lady who presents it, they, they dress up all, like, modern, like, um, Tony Rob- Robinson seems quite fashionable, and you're all, like, standing there in your really old clothes. Yeah, so. man,
1: there were so many times when we're standing in, like, in, in ridiculous clothes, like, freezing and really uncomfortable, and Tony just struts past in like, a, in, like, a barber jacket with a hat on, warm as toast, having a <laughs> coffee I was like, oh, go out, get out of here, man, Tony, you're ruining it.
3: And now I think we'll go to Steve Backshall, this is another really good interview. He is an incredible adventurer and wildlife expert. And to be honest, I could just listen to him all day. He's incredible. He is amazing. And this is what happened. Luke Botham. <laughs> he's known for presenting shows like The Really Wild Show and Deadly 60, as well as numerous other nature shows. And he's coming to Harrogate for a gig later this month. I bet he's going to be amazing. I say a gig, it's more like a show. <laughs> he's one of those people you could just listen to all day. But what can we expect from the new tour?
0: It's a tour where I'm going to try and take the audience on a journey around the wild world, to some of the world's most uh, extreme and exotic and least known places. Um, But also, of course, uh, the the wonderful animals that live there as well. So talking about uh, species that are new to science, animals that are weird and wonderful, um, strange predators. just just the most phenomenal animals on the planet.
3: Obviously, one of the reasons for the tour, I think, is your book series, The Falcon Chronicles.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, well, uh, I've got uh, both my uh, my fiction novels, The Falcon Chronicles, and also a non-fiction novel which has just come out today, uh, which is about my uh, expeditions in the mountains as well. So, um, yeah, there are, there are lots of books that I'll be bringing along. Um, but uh, I will be chatting about all different kinds of expeditions. People will have the opportunity to ask me questions as well. So anything that people want to know about, uh, about, nature about the natural sciences about expeditions uh will have uh lots of opportunity for them to quiz me
3: that'll be really good has, has the tour already started or is it starting soon
0: well i had my my first talk yesterday at the uh the wimbledon literary festival down down here in the south um but it, it gets going properly in scotland next week
3: oh that'll be good something to look forward to
0: yeah. Well, I, th- I think, I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to coming to, to Harrogate. It's, um, it's a place that we've done on all of our former tours, and the theatre there is our, our very favourite. It's the one that we look forward to coming back to most. It's um, really, really intimate. You kind of feel like you could reach out and touch the audience. They're, they're right there in your face, um, and it's always been a lovely, lovely crowd.
3: No, it's it's a really popular place for people to come to. Actually, I think a lot of people a lot of people seem to say that. So obviously, with the mountains book that's coming out today, yeah. and that, that's going to be touched on during the tour as well. Are you talking about mountains all over the world that you've kind of been to? It's
0: stuff from all over the place. So uh, the book contains um, expeditions making first ascents in. Borneo and Venezuela, and making a sense of eight eight thousand meter mountains in the Himalayas, and and also my, my beginnings in getting into uh, mountains and inter- expeditions as a whole. Uh, it also deals a tremendous amount with uh, the psychology of adventure. Why it is that people like me push ourselves in in the world's wildest places? Why it is that we choose to hang from you know cliff faces by our fingernails? Um, it, it's hoping I think to get beneath the skin of expeditions explorations and and the spirit that drives that
3: yeah i think i think it's something that maybe a lot of people have or at least interested in maybe don't realize because I, re- I read somewhere that you talk about maybe what it's like to live in in really harsh environments like the arctic um, do you think that interests a lot of people because it's so unfamiliar to them
0: I think it does, yeah. I, I think we are, we're intrigued by the exotic. We're intrigued by uh, environments that, uh, that we don't know. I mean, for, for me, the environment that I know the least is, is the biggest environment on the planet, the, the deep sea. You know, I've only done one uh, trip down into the very deepest sea, and uh, I kind of, pretty much everything I saw was, was new to me. Pretty much everything I saw was, was unfamiliar, and, and it remains an experience that I'll always treasure because it was so, so new and so different
3: even when you've been to all of these mountains and rainforests and things, there's always going to be new things to find and discover, isn't there?
0: I've been doing this for a long time now, and I've been to 105 countries around the world, but that doesn't even scratch the surface. There are um, you know, at least 260 countries in the world, and, and some of the ones that I've been to, uh, you know, I've only seen tiny, tiny portions of them. So, yeah, there is an awful lot left to be done.
3: It's, it's it's really exciting as well actually isn't it like um how how different all these different places can be like um during the winter i was in uh, northern finland in right in the arctic and it was like it was like minus 31 or something and i just couldn't believe it didn't feel it's
0: incredible that kind of cold isn't it it's, Yeah. it's, it's... The is that a, a dry cold like that that you get in sort of northern Scandinavia is so much easier to deal with than the wet cold that we get here in the UK. You know, it's easy to wrap yourself up in down clothing in minus 31 and to be relatively uh, relatively comfortable. Whereas if you're up in Scotland and it's one degree, but it's pouring down with rain um, and it's blowing an absolute huli, that's almost impossible to be comfortable in.
3: I was going to say, yeah, it's like... It's, there's all that snow and everything when you're over in, in like the Scandinavia and it's like, it doesn't actually feel like maybe more than minus five or six, even though it's minus 31, it's, it's mental. Obviously we were talking about how you discuss wildlife and the natural world and everything during this tour. Um, wh- why do you think it's so important that people take interest in wildlife and the natural world?
0: Um, well, from a completely selfish perspective, it, it, it does you good. There's no doubt that that being outside, being in uh, you know the oxygen-rich, occasionally sunlight-rich natural world, is physically good for you, and that spending your life you know working with with wildlife, working um, in adventure, is good for you physically and mentally. But for me, really, it's much more important that lots and lots of people out there get involved because the very people that and love the natural world are the same people that are going to want to try and protect it and try and save it and we really really need that now you know that the natural world is under it's it's under attack from so many different areas that we need it it needs people who are going to be stewards in the natural world who are going to want to do something about protecting it
3: people that really care about what's going on like not just saying things actually doing them
0: (laughs) exactly yes that's that's totally right
3: so obviously you've been to lots of different places and seen lots of different things, but would you say you've got a favourite animal that you've ever seen in the wild?
0: Yeah, my my favourite animal is the wolf, um, and it's all down to the interesting, complex relationships they have in their packs, uh, to the fabulous sound of their howl, um, and to the general affinity that I think I have with the, um, with the dog family.
3: Yeah, they are very nice, aren't they? <laughs> um, yes. And... Have you got any new expeditions or adventures planned uh, coming up or anything?
0: I have, yes. There's, there's a, an expedition series which will be going out around about Christmas on BBC2 uh, called Islands in the Sky. And it is probably the most dangerous expedition I've ever been on and, and the most frightening as well. So that will be shown towards the end of the year. Luke Botham. Now I
3: think I'll take us across to Basil Brush. He is one of my favourite childhood... CBBC people who I used to watch loads and loads and loads when I was little. And getting to interview him was incredible. He's so funny. H- how are you? Are you
4: okay? I'm very well, thank you, so Very much. Lovely to hear from you, Mr. Luke. You're not by any chance Luke Skywalker, are you?
3: <laughs> I am. I'm in
4: disguise. How, how did you guess? You're in this Luke Skywalker. Star Wars, you see. So whenever <laughs> I hear the name of Luke, I just immediately assume it's Luke Skywalker. I've been very busy filming the new film. (laughs) I know. Lovely to hear from you, Mr. Luke.
3: (laughs) Um, So obviously uh, you're going to be coming to Darlington on October the 10th. Yes. Yeah. Um, Could you just tell me a little bit about the full-on Fox tour? What exactly is it?
4: Well, the Fox tour is basically, I call it, a pilgrimage of laughter. Myself and Mr. Stephen, we've put together this fantastic show... And it's a four-dimensional experience because we have a a huge 20-foot wide video screen on the stage, lots of jokes, an adventure going off into space, and then the boys and girls, some of them might get wet, by the way, (laughs) will get to meet myself, Mr. Stephen, in the foyer after the show as well. So you get the laughter, songs, jokes, cream pies in lots of people's faces, all the way through the show and then they get to meet myself and Mr Stephen right after the show. You couldn't ask for more really could you?
3: I think it's going to be really good. (laughs) Um, Are you excited to bring it to Darlington?
4: I've passed Darlington about 20 times this year when we've gone up the motorway we came back down the motorway we went back up the motorway and down the motorway and every time I could see Darlington and I used to say I'm going to Darlington we're going there we're going there Mr Stephen and we pass you again so I can't wait to be stopping off and coming to Darlington and having a nice cup of tea.
3: <laughs> uh, so you're obviously uh, very used to the stage with all of the pantomimes you've done and everything. Would you say this show's a bit like your kind of very own pantomime?
4: Well, it is really. It's like the bezel-brush pantomime. I like Cinderella. I mean, I do, do pantomimes every Christmas. I, I can remember better. the last 13 years, I think, I've been in the pantomime, and this year I'm back at the Theatre Royal Windsor. And I suppose my show is a little pantomime-esque because there's lots of audience participation boys and girls will be getting up on the stage into competitions as well get to win prizes so it is very much a pantomime but at this time of year i suppose but it's not cinderella it's a bezel brush full-on fox star and we could go anywhere
3: <laughs> um and obviously uh, as you've said mr Steve- mr steven's joining you on the uh, the tour and He's, yeah. he's quite yeah. often the, uh, the centre of your jokes, isn't he? Is that going to be the case on the uh, tour this time?
4: Well, absolutely. He's always the butt of my jokes um, because he's Mr. Stephen and he's got a big white face. <laughs> um, but he's dolly split. We spent six years together on CBBC and we've just got back together not only for the tour but also for our clips on YouTube. We've made 32 brand new sketches that are available for all the boys and girls to find on YouTube. I've become digital, you see. And I put it all onto my Twitter account as well, at RealBizzleBrush. So we're everywhere. We're taking over the planet, so to speak, Miss Stephen and myself. And we're like two old brothers, really. <laughs> driving around the country, me rolls Canardly that rolls downhill and can hardly get up the other side. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom!
3: <laughs> um, I was going to talk about the YouTube channel, actually. I was, I was watching it earlier today, and um, I think one of my favourite videos on there is the uh, Ice Bucket Challenge one. H- how did you find doing that? <laughs>
4: Well, the Ice Bucket Challenge was, was a jolly good laugh, that was. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't, my fur wedge, and just got Mr. Stephen a double helping, so to speak. But yeah, we had jolly splendid views of our Ice Bucket Challenge. Take a look, it was a lot of fun. And it was extremely cold for Mr. Stephen, I can say. He <laughs> was very wet after that, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was. He wasn't a happy bunny. He wasn't happy. Have you done it? Have you done the ice bucket challenge?
3: I haven't done it, no. Do you think I should? Well, it's
4: about <laughs> time you did. You should do it now. You know, get a bucket out and put it over your head with the ice in it.
3: <laughs> do it on air?
4: Yes, do it live on air.
3: <laughs> um, so, b- before you um, start doing your show, do you have any, like, routines or anything to get you into the zone? Do you do anything particularly? Oh.
4: To get into the Zoom, basically just munch on loads of jelly babies to give me the energy, have a nice cup of tea, dunk me ginger nuts, because I like me nuts, <laughs> and, um, and away we go. Do a few me-me-me-me-me-me-me's at the side of the stage, a couple of boom-booms, and I'm on. You know, <laughs> to be honest, we're so used to doing this show this year, we're doing 108 dates. So actually, we're pretty well warmed up. We arrive at the theatres, and on we go. And, and the audience have their part to play. They need to join in too and make lots of noise. If they don't make lots of noise. It's not such a fun show. They've all got to get involved.
3: Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I can't, I can't see why they wouldn't, though. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, they will. They
3: will. <laughs> uh, have you had any, uh, any like tour highlights or anything? Anything that's happened that's really stood out?
4: Really stood out. I've got to say we had a most magnificent audience. We went all the way to Inverness in Scotland. And we were saying, gosh, I hope this better be a good show when we come up all of this way. I've got to say, one of the highlights was the audience in Scotland were quite magnificent. So Darlington, you've got a lot to stand up to, you know, because the noisiest audience so far has been the one that's been furthest away. And that was Inverness. They were marvellous. So, no, we've had a a great time on this tour. So far, all the tyres have held out. We haven't had a couple of boom-booms on the motorway. (laughs) But I have to say, what has been difficult... The roadworks. Now, the government is sorting something out here because I wrote to them and I said, Listen, I've been up and down this country more times than a fiddle of the elbow. And 25 miles of roadworks on the M1 in two separate places. That's not fun. And the government, they're going to do something about it. We're going to restrict it to two miles. And I like to think I had a hand in that, or a <laughs> paw, or a brush, or a hooter.
3: <laughs> Hopefully, it'll make your uh, journeys a little bit smoother if they do do that. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'd like to just materialise, you know, a bit like Star Trek. I'd just like to materialise at the next venue. So it's been a lot of miles. We've done nearly 20,000 miles. My little legs in my pedal car are just about worn out.
3: What else do you have planned for the future apart from the rest of this tour? Anything else?
4: Well, we'll obviously, pantomime at Easter.
3: Okay. I'm going to be,
4: uh, at Christmas, I'm going to be in pantomime at the theatre, or Windsor in Cinderella with Anne Widdicombe. Oh, <laughs> But that's amazing. And we're going to hopefully film some more YouTube stuff as well. And uh, I was on Pointless only the other week, so I wouldn't mind going to that again. So, um, yeah, little bits and bobs are bubbling away.
3: Luke Botham. And finally, we are going to end the podcast today with the interview I did with George Bing. She uh, wrote a series of children's books called Molly Moon, during the noughties and early this decade as well. They are amazing. They're about this girl who can hypnotise people and stop time and she's got all sorts of different powers. And um, a film is coming out very, very shortly from the first book, even though the first book came out ten years ago. So I had a little chat with Georgia and, honestly, she is incredible. She is so funny, so laid back and slightly bonkers, but I love that. This is Georgia Bing.
2: We started making this film quite a long time ago. So it would be lovely to see at last what children think of it. Although children have seen it in America and at festivals and things. It won a little prize recently at the Love and Peace Festival. And children really like it. So I I hope children like it here. Because um, if they do, hopefully there will be a hypnotism craze. And all over the country, children will be hypnotizing their teachers and their parents. And and then they can take over the world. (laughs) That's what (laughs) we want.
3: I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that happening. I mean, um, it's got quite an English cast, hasn't it? Like loads of famous people from England are in it and that's really exciting as well.
2: We've got Gary Kemp and Emily Watson and Celia Imries.
3: She's a, she, she's an amazing person to get in, isn't she?
2: <laughs> well, she was good because what happened was I went to something, she was reading these poems and she was at this little drinks thing afterwards and I saw her there and I thought, ooh, I wonder if she'd be interested. So I went up and asked her and she was really lovely and friendly and she said oh I'd love to I'd love to play a villain I really would love it and so that magically happened and the little girl Rathby, had been in a few films before and she walked through the door and she blew every single other person we'd seen out of the water and you know she went on to make a film with George Clooney called Tomorrowland she's going to be huge I think
3: I wanted to ask about um, Joan Collins as well, actually, because obviously in the film I think she plays Knockman's mum, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, where did the decision or idea to add her role into the plot come from? Because I don't think I don't think he had a mum in the books.
2: No, we didn't. It was just through the writing of it, it became apparent that he he just needed a bit more background, and so. I thought it would be good if he had a kind of gangstery family. <laughs> the background that he had in the book didn't really suit the film. And so he needed a more colourful background, really. And we needed some reason why he was so frustrated and twisted. And, and it just seemed a good idea if, if he was a criminal who always let his mum down. <laughs> that she was, she was, was a rather glamorous, brilliant criminal who robbed big banks and things. And this was her son who'd been very, very disappointing and all he can do is sort of raid warehouses and you know, nick things that have fallen off the back of lorries. And he's, So he's, he's a sort of disappointment to his mum and always trying to impress her <laughs> and, and win her heart. She's really mean, his mum. And that's Joan Collins' part.
3: So what would you say kind of originally inspired you to write the books?
2: Well, it was definitely my mum's dog because I was sitting in the kitchen in my mum's house in the country on a rainy day like today and I was having a cup of tea and a biscuit and I started moving the biscuit from my right to my left my right to my left in front of the dog I was it sounds a bit mean actually I don't think I was being mean but anyway <laughs> and the dog's head went from side to side like you know like somebody who's being hypnotized and it was a bit of a light bulb moment and i thought ooh, that's a brilliant idea I could i could i could write a book about about a kid who can hypnotize animals and then a, an even bigger light bulb suddenly crashed into that and said hang on a minute what about a, a kid who could hypnotize anyone
3: so um another thing that i wanted to ask about was the uh, the villains in the book because i think yes. i think my favorite one is um primo cell uh, which one would you say? <laughs> which one would you say your favourite villain is?
2: Well, I do like the Maharaja Whacked. I just think he's he's so scary. He's very very tall, and he's very exotic because he's he's from nineteenth century India, and he talks in, in Spoonerisms where he gets his his words fracked to bunt. And, uh, and, and so when he's scary, because he's a bit like a child, and he's very spoiled, and he's also a time-traveller, when he's nasty, he's really rather nasty because he's a bit like an overgrown child. And the great thing about villains is that whenever you come across nasty people in your own life, you can then, you, instead of just being sort of horrified by them, you think, oh, brilliant, let's see how, how nasty are you and how nasty can you be, and, oh, that's useful, I can use that for my... so so it means that every nasty person has a silver lining oh definitely (laughs) Um, one thing that i used to enjoy when i was little was i lived in a village and there was a lane and down it there were lots and lots of different people and i used to spend my whole life out with my friends and we used to visit all the people in the street in the lane and they were very friendly and we used to go in and get sort of biscuits and cakes from each house I mean we must have been stuffed by the end of the day mm-hmm. and as a, as a seven eight year old what I really loved doing was just sort of had a little notebook and I used to do sort of character sketches and slightly and draw these people but then ask them questions and, and so I knew you know more about them and it was sort of written down and I was going to say to any kids listening that you know you have this brilliant resource because when you're seven or eight, you know, you have such an array of characters that are the grown-ups around you, because I think by the time they grow up, people can become really rather odd. So I'm sure that lots of the children who might be listening to this have really funny characters in their lives, and I'm just saying to them that a really good, fun thing to do is keep a notebook and write down what people are like, and you might discover that, you know, you've got a bit of a writer in you.
3: So, if you could have one of Molly's powers yourself, which one do you think you'd choose to have?
2: I think, let me think, mind reading. not so sure about mind reading because I think it would make life too complicated because you'd see things that you didn't want to see. Hmm. I think time travel sounds good, but if you go to the future, you might see things that you don't want to see. Maybe time travel to the past would be better where you could go back and look at you know meet your I don't know your mother when she was younger or (laughs) your father when he was a little boy or you know something like that might be quite interesting and um I think time stopping is quite useful because you could I mean listen if I could time stop everything now I could get my whole house tidied up and decorated and write my new book and then turn time back on again and and you know it would still be nearly time for lunch um <laughs> but i think probably hypnotism would be the most useful thing because you know listen there's so many bad people doing bad things and it would be a wonderful thing if we could hypnotize them not to
3: so i am going to wear- I'm going to mention the spoiler alert again now. Um, At the end of the last book, Molly did kind of choose to give up all of her powers. Was that the way that you always wanted it to be? Is that how you wanted it to end?
2: Well, the thing is, it may not have ended. You know, she's still alive. And actually, I have written another plot for another story, which has something to do with blooming. Do you remember in the last book, she she gets that special stone off her great-grandfather. Oh, yeah. Who She meets because he's from time before. Well, um, that's the fluming stone, which is a bit like a great big surfboard that you stand on. And you can sort of flume through tunnels of not time, but space. So you can get very quickly from here to Australia.
3: So we are now coming to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so, 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 so much for tuning in. I really, really do appreciate your support and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Bye bye and I'll see you shortly. Bye
2: bye.